So when the company was in the startup phase, it was simpler. At that stage, you don't have bad customers. Like any customers, any paying customer is a good customer. These users are usually a great source of ideas. Secondly, Hubstuff wasn't the first product on the market. There were others, so Hubstuff could copy from competitors. Thirdly, when Hubstuff started growing, but still was in the startup phase, we were able to see what issues our customers experience with the product or what issues our prospects describe us when they move from our competitors to us. So this was another source of ideas, issues or struggles that customers or prospects have. My name is Alex Yarotsky. I'm the CTO at Hubstuff. This is Code Story. A podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Took six months moonlighting. There's nothing on the backhand. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. Took many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. Our company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mike. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really it's want it. not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today, how Alex Yarotsky is driving productivity for work teams everywhere by automating time tracking and productivity metrics. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL. Do you put your edge computing close to your users? You should put your data there too. Terso makes this easy utilizing the developer experience of SQLite. Access a free starter plan at terso.tech slash codestory. Terso, welcome to the data edge. This episode is brought to you by our friends at MemberStack. MemberStack is the fastest way for you to launch a beautiful Webflow MVP with robust authentication and smooth payments integration. Join companies like Slack and American Airlines in serving millions of members every single day. Get started for free by visiting memberstack.com slash codestory. Alex Yarotsky got into tech as a little kid. In fact, he remembers watching the movie Toy Story and wanting to learn how to build the tech that drove its creation. He got into university but eventually dropped out and went the standard Eastern European software route by joining a consultancy. Post that, he joined his first tech startup and hasn't looked back since. But outside of tech, he's married with two fat cats. He and his wife enjoy MMA and traveling. Twelve years ago, the founders of Alex's current venture noticed that the demand for freelancers was growing in the market. They also noticed that very few time-tracking solutions existed, and they wanted to tackle this niche. Later, Alex joined the crew to take the product to the next level as CTO. This is the creation story of Hubstaff. So Hubstaff is a workforce management and workforce analytics software. The company started about 11, 12 years ago, and Dave and Jared started it. They built it pretty quickly because the demand for freelancers was growing back then and if i'm not mistaken upwork or i think they were called odesk back then were pretty much the only company that was providing time tracking software 
Dave and Jarrett found this great niche, built a product that was way better than what Autodesk offered, and that's how they got started. Unfortunately, I wasn't around back then, but I heard the story lots of times. Actually, Dave and Jared didn't know each other before Hubstuff. And one day, Dave just messaged Jared on LinkedIn saying, hey, I've got this awesome idea. Do you want to build it? And they're like, why not? <laughs> and that's how Hubstuff got started. Let's dive into the MVP then. So that MVP you mentioned, tell me about the first version of the product. I know it was prior to your time, but it sounds like you know the story. What sort of tools were used to bring it to life and, and how long did it take? If I'm not mistaken, it took them just a few months, less than six months or something. The complex part about Hopstuff is that it's not just a web app, it's web app plus desktop app. The guys build it using custom C++ framework to make it compatible and cross-compile to multiple platforms, Linux, Windows, Mac OS, plus a web dashboard. So they build this MVP like pretty quickly, delivered it to the market. Pretty standard, pretty basic by the current standards, time-tracking application. Just time-tracking itself, simple project and task management. In an MVP, really in any early version of a product, there has to be certain decisions and trade-offs made. And again, you know the story, so I'm sure you know these, but tell me about some of those that had to be made, or maybe around technical debt or feature cut, or, you know, approach to development, and how those decisions were coped with. We still have to deal with some of them, so I know the story very well, unfortunately for me, because I lost a few nights fixing the consequences. <laughs> Nonetheless... It's a typical startup story in the sense that when you're a startup and you still don't really know what's real demand for your product, you want to move fast. You just want to outbuild competitors. And that's the approach the guys took at the beginning. They just wanted to move fast. Like, hey, what's the competitors are doing? Let's just do the same. What are the possible features that clients might want to have in just a few months based on what they are doing right now? Let's build it as quickly as we can. And hey, we're just a few people team. We don't have time for DevOps and all of this. Let's just use whatever. Let's use Heroku or something. Let's just save time and move as quickly as we can, which actually led to two consequences, which is performance and infrastructure. Down the road, we had to deal with some performance improvements. We had to migrate from a pass to our own infrastructure on AWS. And from the business perspective, these were actually good decisions because it allowed Hubstaff to move faster than competitors and be where it is right now. So these consequences were well worth it. This episode is encrypted by Cypherstash. Data breaches are becoming a fact of life. Know why? One of the reasons is because developers lack the right tooling to get the job done, i.e. encryption at rest tools are complex and inadequate. The solution? Encryption in use with Cypherstash. Cypherstash uses searchable encryption in use technology, providing continuous and universal protection for sensitive data. With Cypherstash, you can turn your existing database into a vault, utilizing zero-trust key management, SQL native, and with no code. Though encryption is complicated, Cypherstash is easy to use. The tool fully supports SQL via a drop-in driver replacement, supporting the query types you know and love today. And did we mention it's fast? 
For queries over 100 million records, you can expect additional overhead of less than one millisecond. It's a no-brainer. Get started by reviewing their docs or downloading sample projects in Rails or Node plus SQLize today. Visit cypherstash.com slash codestory and get started protecting your data. This episode is supported by Treble. This day and age, APIs are a fact of life. And as such, product and engineering teams need tooling that is lightweight, real-time, and data-rich to help them ship and maintain APIs faster. That's where Treble comes in. Treble is an all-in-one platform for the entire API lifecycle. The product offers world-class monitoring and observability, providing more than 40 data points for each request, enabling you to understand everything from performance to user behavior. Dashboards help connecting your entire team for lifecycle collaboration. Documentation is automatically generated, saving massive amounts of time for your development team with every new release. And setting up Treble? Super easy and fast. In three simple steps, you can be up and running with their platform. Their pricing is designed to support API teams of all sizes. So get started with Treble today and automate your API ops. Did I mention they have a free forever plan? Find out more by visiting treble.com slash codestory. That's T-R-B-L-L-E dot com slash codestory. So let's move forward then. You've got the MVP, it's working, or the team has the MVP, it's working. And maybe this is where you joined how was the product progressed and matured? And, and I'm curious to wrap that in a box a little bit. What I'm looking for is how did you build your roadmap? How do you guys build your roadmap? And what do you do to make sure you're choosing the next most important thing to build or to address with Hubstaff? This is a brilliant question, and I'll address it in two stages. Stage number one, how was it done in the startup phase? And stage number two, how is it done when we're now in the scale-up phase? So when the company was in the startup phase, it was simpler because the product is simple, straightforward. And at that stage, you don't have bad customers, like any customers, any pain customer is a good customer. And since the product is still small, the code base, code base is still small, you have constant influx of new and very different users. These users are usually a great source of ideas. And most of them usually coming from similar backgrounds. So you can group these ideas into the same features and understand based on the number of votes or requests, what's most important thing. Secondly, Hubstuff wasn't the first product on the market. There were others. So Hubstuff could copy from competitors. And thirdly, when Hubstuff started growing, but still was in the startup phase, we were able to see what issues our customers experience with the product or what issues our prospects describe us when they move from our competitors to us. So this was another source of ideas, issues or struggles that customers or prospects have with our product or uh, competitors' products. So these were the main sources of ideas. And we were prioritizing them based on the number of requests and thus building them accordingly. Now, when we are in the scale-up phase, this approach does not work anymore because we are one of the market leaders. Now other competitors are looking at us, looking for ideas to copy. So we have to be ahead of the competition. And this is where a strong data-driven culture comes in place. And since we just relatively recently have grown and moved to the scale-up phase from the startup phase, that's when we started adopting this data-driven culture where we started collecting more event analytics. We started using tools like Full Story to analyze journeys, heat maps, and whatnot. 
And again, the idea there is at this stage, it's less about how to build next big thing. It's more about how to be the best solution in the industry for your clients. And you're looking for ideas, analyzing behavior of your users. Again, listening to their feedback. And I would say these are the main sources of ideas. So for the new features, we try to adopt what is called TARC framework, which is an abbreviation for target audience, adopted, retained, and satisfied. So for every feature you build or for every feature you want to analyze, you define what's the target audience within your product. Because Hubstuff is not a small product anymore. We have different customers with different backgrounds, with different needs, using different subset of features. So for every new feature, we define who is the exact target audience inside Hubstuff users. Then after a certain period of time, depending on the feature use case, how many people we expect to retain to keep using this feature, let's say after a week or after a month or after a quarter, and then retention does not mean satisfaction, right? And people can use their your feature because they have to, but they just hate it. So the last but not least is satisfaction. You have to measure how satisfied they are with this feature. And again, application of this framework helps you to build the right features and adjust them according to the feedback, according to numbers like retention and satisfaction of your customers. Okay, so I hear you saying we a lot. Tell me about how you built your team. And what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? The team is probably the most amazing team we have at Hubstuff. And when I say we, I do not only refer to the engineering team, I refer to another team we work side by side with daily, which is our product team. So when I say we, both product and engineering teams. As I said, engineering team is probably my most favorite thing about Hubstuff. And it took us a while to build the team we currently have. It took us multiple iterations. It took us some back and forth. But long story short, a long time ago, we started looking for people who have two qualities. They're diligent and they're open-minded. The rest didn't matter to us. Whether you have five years of experience or 10 years of experience, whether you worked with the tech stack we have or you didn't, if you have these two skills and our interview process confirms that you have them, you're welcome to join. We know you will become a great part of the team. As our experience has shown, these two qualities are the two most important, at least for us, because with this kind of people, it's always easy to disagree. It's always easy to find a solution to any technical problem, and it's just fun to spend time with. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open-source edge database from the creators of LibSQL, the popular fork of SQLite. If you put your edge computing close to your users, like with Netlify or Vassell edge functions or Cloudflare workers, you should put your data there too in order to maximize performance gains at the edge. Terso makes it easy. With a developer experience of SQLite and a distributed database, you can replicate much closer to your users than traditional database offerings in the cloud. Terso's lightweight, easy to use, and free to get started. The team at Terso is offering a generous starter plan specifically for Code Story listeners. Head over to terso.tech/slash code story and get started today. That's T-U-R-S-O.tech/slash code story. Terso, welcome to the Data Edge. This episode was automatically optimized by Cast. If you run cloud native software on AWS, Google Cloud, or Azure, you know how out of hand the bill can get. 
This uncertainty hurts your business, but you can solve it with Cast AI. Cast AI automates cloud cost, performance, and security management for hundreds of companies of all sizes. The platform's customers begin saving immediately and cut an average of over 60%. So before you go and sign a multi-year contract with a cloud provider or lay people off, check out what Cast AI can do for you. To get you saving even faster, Cast AI is offering a free cloud cost audit with a personal consultation. Visit cast.ai slash codestory to get started. Let's flip to scalability then, and this will be interesting. Was this built to scale efficiently from day one, or was scale in mind kind of back before your time, or maybe even right right when you arrived, or have you been fighting this as you grow in any sort of capacity? Tell me about that. It wasn't really built with the scale in mind, so we had to address it along the way. And there is nothing wrong with this approach. What actually is helping us to to grow our technology as our user base grows is a good monitoring system. Monitoring APM tools, that's what we actively use to proactively observe application behavior, CPU usage trend, upscaling, downscaling of our infrastructure. We monitor all of this on the daily basis to understand where we may have flaws in our infrastructure or our application which potential new features or changes introduce bottlenecks in our process. We proactively follow all these metrics, and as soon as we see any spikes, any suspicious behavior, we look into details and we try to proactively address it. Let's be real, unfortunately, it's not always the case. Sometimes ghosts from the past just wake you up in the middle of the night something doesn't scale or something unfortunately doesn't work as you expect it. Again, in these cases, what helps us to detect these issues much sooner than they affect more than enough customers is that good monitoring and uptime system. And again, people. We have amazing people. We have on-call rotation in our team. Every week, two engineers stay on call which means that they're available 24-7 to address any notifications from our uptime monitoring system. And they've been doing an amazing job catching these issues whenever they occur and preventing them from spreading to entire system and thus saving operations of our customers. Okay, so as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? Again, the team. Like, truly, this is the best team I've worked with. And I'm not only talking about the team that I built as an engineering leader, but also the management team I'm working with in Hubstuff. So let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. So as your company and your team grow, you may find yourself in a position where some people that you started with or who were with you, who've been with you from the very beginning, they just don't scale up with the company. It can happen for multiple reasons, but you start seeing that certain people, they just don't scale up with the company. As a decent human being, your obvious reaction is to help these people grow, take some of their responsibilities and drag these responsibilities on your shoulders. But as you move on, you realize it just doesn't happen. You're just taking more and more from their plate. 
the best decision for both them and you as a manager is to part the ways. I committed this mistake myself at Hopstuff. I've seen my engineering manager committing the same mistake. And again, the best solution for this problem is whenever you see it happening, of course, assist the person who you think cannot grow at the moment. Maybe they are struggling with certain soft or hard skills. If that's going to help, that's great. If it doesn't, don't waste this person's career. Better part your ways and let them uh, find a better new place for them. Okay, Alex, this will be fun. Tell me what the future looks like for the product and for the team. Hubstuff is in the industry that is known to be like big brother software. And this industry is currently at the pivot point. And the companies who currently exist in this industry will go one way or the other way. So one way is to build up on this foundation of being a big brother and just provide the tools to sneak after your employees. And there is another route that Hubstaff is going to, which is become a sort of like a white knight. We don't want to be associated with this negativity behind being a big brother. We want to provide, and we already do provide the tools that help you as an employee to get the best out of your working day, how to be the most productive version of yourself. And we also provide tools for your manager to help you become a better version, better professional version of yourself. That's the direction we see for ourselves. And that's the direction we're pursuing. Let's switch to you, Alex. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why. So first of all, Jared Brown, our CEO at Hubstuff. I enjoy working with him. It's been a great ride and I learn a lot from him. Secondly, these are multiple people I worked with at TopTel, Tasso Duval, the CEO of TopTel, and Bojidar Batsov, the VP of Engineering at TopTel. I learned a lot from them. I consider both of them my mentors. They're great managers and loved working with them. So these are the people I worked with and people I've never worked with, but I would love to, is Richard Branson, a British entrepreneur. I think I've read all his book. I follow him on all the platforms and I think he's a brilliant person. So we talked about a mistake earlier, but this is a little different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different or where would you consider taking a different approach? It doesn't have to be something that didn't work, could have worked and even worked well, but maybe you'd tweak it a little bit. In terms of hub stuff, I would say we spent too much time trying to help these people who didn't scale with us. And in the end, we had to part our ways anyway. And that's the thing that Jared and I actually look back a lot and we think, yeah, we shouldn't have done it. That's actually like one of the reasons why I mentioned it as probably the biggest thing I wouldn't do again. So that's definitely something because technology is somewhat easy. There are certain algorithms, there are certain best practices how to do or not do things, but people part of the equation is always the most complicated one. Alex, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person? Just don't overthink it and move fast. 
Because as somebody who has worked with startups and scale-ups, somebody who tried to build his own startup, I found myself and I saw other founders to be stuck in this situation where they were like, let's just build these more things and then we're ready to launch. Or actually, no, 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 we're still not ready. Let's do this. Let's improve this. And this chase for unneeded quality sometimes, unneeded quality is probably not the right word, but excessive quality, especially at the beginning, where as a startup, when you don't really know who exactly your target audience, that's probably what kills more startups than anything else. This ideal vision of a product, because a lot of people treat their products like they're babies, but they aren't. It's just your invention. It might work. It might not. Just don't overthink it. Don't get attached to it too much. Just move as fast as you can. Validate as many hypotheses as you can. And please don't overthink it. It will kill you and your product. Couldn't agree more. That's fantastic advice. Well, Alex, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Hubstaff. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.